It sure is good to see everyone here tonight. It's good for all of us to be back together and want to extend our gratitude for our visitors being with us this evening. A couple months ago, we looked at a very important question and a question that each and every single one of us will face one day to is seeking the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? We saw that there are a lot of confusion in the religious quote-unquote world. Depending on where you go, on Google or visiting around town, you're going to get very different answers. In that lesson, we decided to look back at scriptures. And just for a quick review, we asked ourselves this basic question that we find in Acts 2.37, this is on the day of Pentecost when Peter delivered the first gospel message telling a crowd of Jews that they had crucified the Savior. Once they had realized what had happened, in verse 37 we read, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So we talked about, well, how do we go about answering this question? How do we understand what needs to be done to be saved? Well, first, let's look at a concordance. Let's look at the word saved or salvation. What do we see in scriptures? And we notice that there are three specific actions that are listed that directly state that salvation is received of an individual that does these three things. The first is believe. In Acts 16, 30, 31, we read, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. We also saw that confession is tied to salvation's in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, we read, But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Jew, and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We also notice the third action uh, tied to salvation in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. And it read, For who formerly were disobedient once one once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We then looked at three specific charts to help us understand and evaluate what is obeying the gospel. How do we receive salvation? This first chart, titled Steps of Salvation from Sinner to be Saved, had us evaluate that 
we were once lost without hope and rebellious to God prior to following God's plan of redemption. It then tells us what God had to do to prepare redemption, the way for redemption, because we understand man cannot pay the debt of sin himself. And then man must be obedient to God's word. To help us understand these various actions, we looked at another chart. This all that occurred in Acts, and we went out and we filled this chart out. Passage by passage, we looked at each of them that outlined what someone did to receive redemption or salvation. We also, on the converse, looked at this last and final chart, and that was examples of non-conversions in Acts. Thirteen specifically listed here. These individuals heard what was required of them, heard the speaking uh, of the Word of God, and decided not to follow what was put before them. And so as I was considering the lesson for this evening, I wanted to think about and for us to consider what happens after salvation. Brother Steve Hudgens um, was prolific in the bedsheet sermon era. Um, up until uh, about a year ago, I never really heard of bedsheets. And in a conversation last night with another brother in Christ, he did not know what a bedsheet sermon was. So we had a good chat about that. And he wrote and compiled approximately 300 of these uh, bedsheet sermons. And Jacob and I have alternated from time to time, bringing um, an important message that is still true today. Um, uh, the same brother mentioned to me tonight or last night that he doesn't understand or they had a visitor at their congregation, a college age student who said um, that, that we need to change how we present the gospel message. Um, we joked then, I guess the bedsheet sermons are out of style, but that's, that's not the case. We know that and unfortunate to hear that from uh, a young man. Uh, God's word is true as it was when it was delivered to mankind and it remains true today. And so when we think about, and I thought this bedsheet, while simple layout as it is, um, all of our kids have um, line items to fill out, uh, for, put in scriptures that we can go back and that we can read and we can make sure that the things that I am saying are accurate and correct and from the word of God. These are, this is an important topic. And we oftentimes spend a lot of time on this side of the chart, the three previous charts we mentioned and leading up to the focus on baptism. And we will revisit the focus on baptism tonight. But we cannot forget the importance of then what? After you've obeyed the gospel, what are we to do? How are we to live? What are we, how are we to act, think, and speak? And those will be some of the things we look at tonight. Uh, Brother Steve Hudgens is no longer with us. He passed in 2011. Um, he produced over 5,000 of these bedsheets and sent them all over the world to preachers. Um, he, he has some uh, remarkable charts and things for us to be reminded. Some, some would call these the, uh, the foundation, the... the, the um, of our Christian faith, and I would agree with that. We need to go back. We need to revisit these things. We need to understand not only those that have not obeyed the gospel yet, what is required of them, but those of us that have obeyed the gospel, what is required of us. 
to help make it a little easier because there are so many scriptures, all of these passages will be, um, this looks more like what our children have. Um, all of these passages we will have up on the board and they will be um, from the New King James Version. So let's review and consider what baptism is. First and foremost, let's consider that it is a burial. We see in Colossians 2 and verse 12, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism literally means immersion. Considering this word, considering that this um, translation of the word would have caused a lot of problems at the time of the King James Bible in 1611. The word was where in the scriptures there is no misunderstanding that the word baptism has always meant and should been interpreted as immersion. We don't sprinkle dirt on a dead body. We don't leave arms and legs uncovered when we bury someone. Baptism is the complete burial, the covering, or the immersion of an individual. Next, baptism is in water. We see this uh, with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch and Philip in Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. Acts chapter 8, 35 through 38. And it reads, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Water is the source, but it is not a specific type of water. Some people believe that you have to go all the way back to Israel to the Jordan River to be baptized. That is not taught or inferred anywhere in scriptures. Through tradition more recently, there are baptistries in a lot of congregations, but that is tradition. That is not the important factor. The water is not the important factor. It can be a pool, a pond, a lake, ocean, river, bathtub, or a trough as we experienced not that long ago here. The important part is highlighted above in our previous uh, bullet point, and that is a burial, a complete covering. Unfortunately, this is often missed. Not only from the efforts of sprinkling, as we have observed, and a variety of other methods, but the entire individual must be covered in water. That needs to be the point we make. Next, for remission of sins. We see in Acts 2, 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The blood of Christ was shed for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28, we read, or sorry, in Matthew 26, 28, when it describes the, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. In connection to Cornelius' household in Acts 10, 43, 
We read, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Just a few verses later in verse 48, we see that the household of Cornelius is baptized. This tells us that we can only obtain remission of our sins by following the gospel plan of salvation. Next, for accountable beings. Let's go to Mark 16 verses 15 and 16. Mark 16, 15 and 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. There needs to be an understanding of the individual who chooses to obey the gospel they need to understand what they are committing themselves to. We see a variety of examples of this, but in Luke 14 and verse 28, we see, and it reads, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? There must be an understanding. The individual, as we read in Mark 16, 15, and 16, must believe what he has heard. He must understand it. And furthermore, we know that he must count the cost. What is he going to be after this obedience occurs? And that'll be the latter half of our sermon this evening, the then what? For salvation, we read this earlier um, from our review of two, um, the uh, question, what must I do to be saved? And we see in 1 Peter 3, 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been in multiple conversations when the other individual has told me there is nowhere in scriptures that says baptism saves us. I would highly recommend that all of us remember 1 Peter 3.21 because it comes in handy um, when you are talking to and sowing the seed out in the world. We have not only shown that it is not the case, but we've also shown that, and we completely agree, that confession is um, required in the gospel plan of salvation, as is believing. And we looked at a variety of other passages of repenting, um, hearing the word of God, and so forth. But we will not repeat all of those this evening. Next, we need to look at the fact that baptism is the way we get into Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27. Galatians chapter 3 on Christ. No other way is listed for us to get into Christ except through baptism. Next, to become a new creature or an individual. We're going to look at two passages here that help us better understand what that means and what baptism's role is. First, let's look at our scripture reading from this uh, afternoon that Ben did for us in Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Or do you not know as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together... In the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We also have a passage in 2 Corinthians verse 5 
and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We cannot be the same individual that we were prior to obeying the gospel. We must be different. And not only must we be different, we're going to see that we must remain different. Some would like to believe that we could never return or fall from grace. That is not taught in scriptures. It's never said that you can't fall from grace. And there are tons of examples, for time tonight we won't look at, that we can fall from grace. We are a new individual. Our life is no longer about the physical. Our life is no longer about ourselves. Instead, our life is about the spiritual. And we will look at a few passages that articulate that and show that more clearly in just a moment. So we've read that we, baptism is a burial, that it is conducted in water for the remission of sins. It is done for, by accountable beings. It is for salvation. It is to get into Christ. It is to become a new creature or an individual. And lastly, it is to get into the one body. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Just like there is only one way to get into Christ, baptism is the only way we get into the one body. In this New Testament era, it doesn't matter where we lived or what race we are. There is only one way for all of mankind to receive the redemption of their sins. Now the question, then what? What after I obey the gospel? What life am I to live? What is my focus? How am I to be different? Let's look and examine a few topics that are highlighted in the scriptures of what we are to be and how we are to live after we have obeyed the gospel. First, let's look at walking in a new life. Also in our scripture reading, Romans 6 and verse 4, we read, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Our life changes forevermore. We have a new life. Some of our little ones may be wondering, well, what's the old life versus the new life? Do I do things differently? It is in main part of how we think and how we live. So if we consider before we have obeyed the gospel, we are very much focused on the physical. That doesn't mean you're not training to think about where your focus should be. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. We are all at a point going to realize that we are sinning, that we are not following God's commands and not obeying his gospel. And at that point, we commit ourselves to God. We understand the cost that we are, um, that is required of us. Uh, this morning, we talked about picking up our cross and following after him. 
That is another example. We need to study and to grow. It doesn't stop with the fact that we have done all this study to get up to the point of obeying the gospel, but that we must continue to do so. Let's look at Romans, I'm sorry, at 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15, we read, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There is no remaining stagnant. We must be dedicated to studying the scriptures the rest of our lives and growing. Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a great example of this. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 13. I'm sorry, 12 through 14. Here we read, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We remember when we looked at the book of Hebrews in our Bible class not that long ago, the situation of those that had not remained dedicated to study and growing. They were facing apostasy, turning back from God. Hebrews is stated that we follow from grace is our second point. They failed to study and grow after obeying the gospel. Thirdly, we are a servant of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and have been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. There's an important distinction in Romans chapter 6 that we just read. And that is that we can only serve one thing. We can only serve good or evil. God or Satan. Some people like to think that they can sit on a fence, that they can have one foot in the good category and one foot in the evil category and that they're okay. That's not what the scriptures teach. We become a servant to righteousness. We must remain dedicated on the good things that come from God and the teachings of his word. Like we just read, if we stop studying and we stop growing, there's a children's song that says, um, if you read your Bible and pray every day, you grow, grow, grow. If you neglect the Bible and you forget to pray, you shrink, shrink, shrink. I think us as adults should remember that song from our youth and practice those things that are fundamental and that we read throughout all scriptures. Next, keep yourself pure. Let's look at 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verse 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. This is a great uh, point that was made by Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and I was going to remember their Hebrew names, and I forgot to look at that. I'm going to make that a point. We were studying that because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have some bad uh, um, meanings to their names of worshiping pagan gods that they were given while they were in captivity. Uh, it would probably be good for us all to remember the names they were given by their parents, which were much more folk and faced with tons of difficulties um, over a thousand miles away. As we read this morning, they chose to keep themselves pure, not with their parents around, not with any, not necessarily because their other friends kept themselves pure, but because they understood the importance of remaining pure. We must flee from sin, all forms of sin. There is no gray area. When we see bad behavior, when we see sinful behavior, the only way to keep ourselves pure, as we read about in 1 Timothy 5.22, is to flee it. We need to get as far away from it as quickly as possible. There is nothing more important than keeping ourselves pure. Next, we're to be an example. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. We see here that let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Our light must shine all the time. We don't get a moment where we get to take a break. I promise you, if you think no one's looking, someone will see. And if no one sees you, I promise you there is one that is seen and observing, and that is God. We must be an example all the time, no matter the situation. Our light never can stop shining. We always must have it in plain light. Next, have faith. I'm going to read first. Let's read two passages um, of this list. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. We're also going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Paul was not shy of saying that he wasn't the best looking or that he was the most prolific speaker. But he wasn't the focus and never wanted to be. He wanted God's word and the scriptures that we read to be the focus in our lives. And why? Because the wisdom of men is not what matters. The wisdom of men will get us into trouble. We see that time and time again. It is the wisdom of God that we must follow. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 1 to continue this idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 29. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This is the man's wisdom we just talked about. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is wise according to the flesh. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. That is an important and powerful passage, and we could give example after example. We often refer to this when we talk about the apologetics of creation and a wide variety of topics. God's way, following the pattern that we read in the Bible, will never make us the most popular because we will be peculiar. We will be outside of the norm, and that's okay. We must be. Romans 10, 17, to bring home this point of faith, only comes from one source. We just read it in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-29. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of God. If you Google what faith is online, or if you ask people of this world what faith is, they will have many, many different answers, for they have the wisdom of this world. God says it comes from Him and His source of what He's given us in Scriptures. Next, we must follow the steps of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to you this were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow His steps. If we want to know how to live, we must read the Bible. We must look at the example that we've been given of the life of Jesus. And I promise you, if you can put away the things of this world and you can follow the example that you have in our hands, in the scriptures, in the New Testament of Jesus and other men who chose to follow Jesus and not this world, you will be doing what God has commanded and what God desires. Matthew 6, 33 venture to say we could all work at prioritizing more. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We must keep our priorities right. We must fight the temptation to let this physical world get in the way of our spiritual focus. It was mentioned this morning that it seems we have less and less time to keep our focus on the things that matter most. Thought a lot about that this afternoon. There's nothing more important for us to do than to resist those things that take our attention and our focus away from God. Because in the end, as a 
brother that I met in California always said, heaven is worth it all. Yes, we may not be able to do all the things that our friends do. Yes, we may not get to do all the things we want to do. But heaven is worth it all. We must resist temptation. James 1, 13 through 15, we read, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We often ask questions around our household, what separates us from God? And the answer is sin. What's the answer to sin? And that's Jesus. We are going to be tempted. The Bible tells us that as clear as day. How do we avoid that? Each and every day we must put on our armor of God as we read in Ephesians 6. We must be ready for the spiritual battle that is before us and we must be prepared. It will happen and it won't just happen once. It will continue to happen while we live on this earth. Two more points and the lesson is yours. We must be faithful. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, which is the often verse listed on that chart that we have of living faithfully is one important aspect as so is all the others that we've talked about. Revelation 2 verse 10 states, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. By be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We studied the seven churches of Asia. We showed and observed all the temptations that we were given in scriptures that they were facing. We saw that some chose to remain faithful. We saw that the majority remained to be influenced by this world. There is no stopping. There is no rest point. There is no coasting. There is no one that will find themselves before the judgment seat and accidentally end up in heaven. There is a race before us. We must remain consistent, focused, and dedicated to following God even unto death. Lastly, be fruitful. Let's look at John 15, 1 through 6 and verse 16 and, and verse 16. John 15, 1 through 6 and verse 16. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean branches of the world, of the word, sorry, which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can't nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that, f and that your fruit should remain, 
and whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. I'm learning more and more about pruning. <laughs> I'm learning more and more about why you burn the branches as well after you prune. But the point is powerful and a reminder to us all that if we are in Christ, if we have obeyed the gospel and we have done these things, there is fruit to be produced. That doesn't mean when you get to the judgment seat that God is going to tally and say, how many people did you baptize? That's not how it works. Noah teaches that example. Noah and his uh, household, his sons and their wives are the only ones that were saved. But we must be fruitful. It is a sign that we are fruitful if we are in Christ. Because when we're faced with the difficult situations, when we're faced with the challenges, the disagreements, the temptations, all the things that we have read about this evening, the fruitful will remain focused on God and things of eternity. So let's review the then what. We must walk in a new life. We must study and grow. A servant, we must be a servant of righteousness. We must keep ourselves pure. We must be an example. We must have faith in God. We must follow the steps and the example left for us by Jesus, the Son of God. We must put first think, we must put the things first that matter. We must resist temptation. We must be faithful and we must be fruitful. These bedsheet sermons are a treat to go back and review. There's a lot of time, effort, and energy placed in those. There's some important foundational messages that we can all learn from them. We offer the invitation on a, for a slide just like this. See, there are those that need to obey the gospel. And if you have been pricked in your heart and tonight you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then the invitation is for you to be baptized. There's no timing it's not just on Sundays or Wednesdays. It is when you understand that you're in sin that you need to obey the gospel. And it needs to happen then. But then there's the invitation for those of us that have obeyed the gospel. And when we look at the then what, how do we analyze our lives? Do we find that we are following the things that we committed to? Have we maintained and counted um, the cost that we signed up for, or have we fallen? If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.